Mark 12, 17 says, Jesus says, pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Proverbs 21, 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than man. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Matthew 2.2, Magi have come to Jerusalem and they ask, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Revelation 17, 4, the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Why did I read these few verses? Well, last week we saw that scripture We looked at what Scripture said about worship, what it means for us as a local body to gather together on a Sunday and to sing and to pray and to hear God's Word, but do not mistake anything I said last week to mean that your Christian life, your, your Christian expression is confined to a Sunday. That what you believe is somehow confined in your heart, but does not interact with the rest of the world. That is a lie that has come from the abuse of the concept of separation of church and state. Many have attempted to argue that what that means is that religion can have no place, no influence in the public sphere. That's not only foolishness, it's impossible Separation of church and state was meant as a safeguard to stop the government from mandating any particular religion as the religion of the state. It was, in fact, meant to allow freedom of worship and not as a declaration that there is no interaction between religion and politics. And so I read those verses to you Because all of those verses and and many more are inherently political. Biblical Christianity is not some stay in your heart kind of religion and then just follow the government what they say about everything else. It is a worldview. It is a worldview through which the Christian understands who we are the nature of humanity, how the family ought to function, what is morally good and what is morally bad, and what the role of government should be. And so to stand here and declare that Christ is king is at the same time to make the statement that Leo Varadkar is not, that Joe Biden is not, that Putin is not. There is a higher throne to which we are subservient and before which every political leader in this country and across the world will one day stand. But this is not just a one-way street. Politicians have their own worldview, which is religious, whether they admit it or recognize it or not. And so when you read political statements or the governing documents of a country, 
they often betray a moral and religious worldview. Well, why are we thinking about this right now? It's because next week there's a a referendum in this country to alter the wording of a few places in the Constitution, uh, changes which might seem minor, but they carry a worldview which at its core is religious. And so I want to read to you a couple of the proposed changes. As it stands right now, Article 41.2.2 in the Irish Constitution reads, quote, the state shall therefore endeavor to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labor to the neglect of their duties in the home. There is a religious worldview in that. The proposed change is this, quote, the state recognizes that the, pre- the provision of care by members of a family to, any, uh, to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them gives to society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and shall strive to support such provision. And I find the the change proposed kind of uh, ironic that uh, this vote comes just before Mother's Day next week. In Article 41.1.1, the Constitution reads, quote, the state recognizes the family as the natural, primary, and fundamental unit group of society and as a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights antecedent and superior to all positive law. The proposed change reads, quote, the state recognizes the family, whether founded on marriage or other durable relationships, as the natural, primary, and fundamental unit group of society and as a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights antecedent and superior to all positive law. Both in the Constitution, as it stands, and in the wording of the proposed changes, there is being presented a worldview that is inherently religious. You cannot talk about anything being a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights without asking the question, What what makes the rights of this institution inalienable? What makes it a moral institution? The answer to those questions requires a worldview that is both political and religious. Now, my objective today is, is not to say, okay, here's how you should all go vote. That's not what this is about. If you can vote, I encourage you to do so. It's part of your civic duty. My objective is to remind you that the outcome of a referendum like this, in fact, the outcome of any referendum in this country, does not change the reality of what it is like to live in God's world. Whether the change in wording passes or fails does not change the reality of how God designed this world and human societies to function. Since this referendum is specifically dealing with the concept of family and mothers in the home, I want us to think through some of these issues from a biblical worldview, and I want us to do so from the book of Proverbs. And so I want to read Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there and read along with me. Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 10. There we read, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. 
She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the products of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Well, before we get into the the content of this text. I want you to realize what this text is. This is not an argument on how to be this type of woman, all right? This is a poem. It's, it's poetry extolling the virtues of this type of woman. And we know it's a type of poem because of how it's constructed. Verses 10 to 31 are uh, in the form of an acrostic poem. You, you all have probably made uh, one of these when you were little. An acrostic poem is when you take a word like mother and each line of the poem begins with each of the letters of the word mother, right? So take this poem, for example. M is for the money I'd wish you'd give to me. O is for the pet ostrich I'd buy with that money. T is for the turtles my ostrich would have to eat. H is for the hearth where my ostrich would fall asleep. E is for the excitement if you would grant my wish. R is for the reminder that I'm only getting a fish. And what, do all that, what does the word spell? It spells mother, right? That, that's an acrostic poem. Now, while Proverbs 31 doesn't spell the word mother, each verse does begin with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so the author is thus praising this woman from A to Z. It's the whole alphabet. And so what we learn from this proverb comes to us not in the form of syllogistic argumentation, but as poetic pearls of praise. Now, I have two, two main points that I want to focus on from this text, both of which parallel the two statements offered up for changes in the Irish Constitution. And the first one is family. Family. What can we learn about a biblical view of family from this text? Well, right from the start, we see that the core of the God-designed family is made up of a husband and wife. It begins, an excellent wife who can find, and then the heart of her husband trusts in her. The, the fundamental institution of society is marriage. It's not villages. It's not governments. It's marriage. And that is because the, the first institution designed by God for the purpose of procreating so that those larger structures might exist was marriage. So let's go back to Genesis 2 really quick. Adam 
having seen all the animals, realizes that there is no one like him, no one to be a suitable helper for him. So God creates the first woman from the side of Adam and he brings her to him. And then in verse 24, we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And we know that this particular verse has to do with marriage, not only from the context in Genesis, but because when the Apostle Paul is talking about marriage, he, he brings in this particular verse from Genesis 2.24. And he says in, in Ephesians 5.32, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so the very institution of marriage upon which all of society is built is a reflection of Christ and the church. And so when the Irish Constitution says the state recognizes the family as the natural, primary, and fundamental unit group of society and as a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights antecedent and superior to all positive law, what it should mean, if it doesn't, is that the institution of marriage existed prior to any law in human history because it was God himself who established it at the beginning and it is a moral institution because God defined it and created it. And so we have no right to change or redefine what marriage is because it was never a societal construct to begin with. It was and is an institution that forms the basis of a right-working society. And that means that the basis of society is a display to that society of Christ in the church, of the gospel. We unfortunately live in a day where the biblical roles of husband and wife are considered passe at the least and oppressive at the worst. That marriage was instituted to enslave women. But that is not at all what a biblical marriage looks like. Look at this wife here in Proverbs 31. Verse 12, she does him, her husband, good and not harm all the days of her life. In verse 11, his heart trusts in her. There, there's mutual love and respect. In verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Right? She's happily doing the job she was created to do. She's working for her family. She's working for her home. In verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She understands the nature of economy and she thinks through cost-benefit analysis. She is, she's not a dumb slave. She is running the business of the home. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. This woman had Etsy up and running before there was ever an Etsy. <laughs> Yet the argumentation from our modern world, the argumentation of feminism is that the biblical role of the wife is tantamount to slavery because you must be confined to the home and never leave. That is not a biblical view of the role of the wife. But there is a catch. She does what she does. Not for her own sake. Not because she's trying to climb up the corporate ladder so everybody will notice how great she is and how she can do every, uh, everything that everybody else can do. She does all of this for the sake of her home, for the sake of her family. She does what is needed to take care of her family. 
It is the family that stands as the bedrock of society. It is husband and wife who have kids, who, who raise them to be the next set of families, who will continue on building their society for the, the betterment of their family and for the families around them. And we, yet, we know that sin destroys so much of this good. We know that death is a result of sin. And, and so it could be that through death, where, where now one spouse is gone, and they're left with their kids, or it could be because of some specific sin that a couple has divorced and now there are single parents and for any other number of reasons. And we have single parents in this church and we praise God that you are doing what you are doing to care for your family just as this woman here. We praise God for that. And not only to care for them, but to lead them in the way of the Lord. A family that is rooted in the word is one that will help a society to flourish. And this goes back to a principle called subsidiarity. It's a fancy word, subsidiarity, but it just means that the further you move away from the most basic relationships, right, marriage, and then you've got community, and then perhaps the town like Dundalk, and then the state government, right, you move from the small to, to the larger, and not, then not here, just not the state government, but the EU government, right, the, the, the further you move away from the most basic relationships, the less efficient and the less effective those institutions are going to be in dealing with the issues of that basic institution, there should never be EU guidelines telling you how to parent because your situation is unique. Your kids are unique. Your spouse is unique. When government attempts to put itself in the place of those basic relationships, the only way it can do so is by destroying what is already there and to destroy the foundation is to watch everything start to crumble. Let me read to you this quote from Dr. Al Mohler. He says, quote, and this is for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, just a reminder of creation order, of subsidiary, and it's also a reminder to us that God's way reflects not only his glory, but our good. And insofar as it is possible, it is the Christian responsibility to rebuild in the ruins what society and sin have torn apart. This means that this should renew our commitment to marriage as the union of a man and a woman before God. It means that for Christians, this should increase our commitment to the family, to rejoice when couples have children and those children become not only a part of the family, but a part of the community. And we should rejoice when families help other families and when families help those outside of families. And that points to the family of faith, which is the gathered congregation, the community, where one of the most important glories of the church is that there is no one in the church who's without a family. There is no one in the church who is at without brothers and sisters. There's no one in the church, in one sense, who is without father and mother and son and daughter, simply by the majestic providence of God in the demonstration of a biblically ordered church. Until family stands at the very core of what society is. Father, mother, but the second area I want to focus on is what this text says about this woman as a mom. Before we get to that, let's recognize that God has designed men and women to be different. They are not interchangeable. The way fathers relate to their kids is different than the way that moms relate to their kids. I remember when, when my kids were little, I would sit on my knees in the middle of the, the floor, and then each kid would take turns attacking me. 
and I would have to fight them off. It was like being a gladiator. But the role that a mom has with her kids and in her home is different. And that's vital, and it's necessary, and it's good that they are different. Look at verses 14 to 15. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She's providing for her family. She goes out and gets the food so that her children uh, and, and all that are in her household can eat. In verse 21, we see that she is prepared. It says, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She, she's making sure that everyone in her house has all that they need to be prepared for the day, for whatever comes at them. Verse 26 She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's wise. When she speaks, she imparts wisdom. She she imparts truth. And this wisdom is kind instruction for her kids and to the servants in her house. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She cares for her home and for those who are in it. She's not lying around eating biscuits and watching TV. She's prioritizing, amongst all the other things she has to do, she's prioritizing her home and those in it. Then in verse 28, she's praised by her family because of all that she is and all that she has done for them. So this woman understands how the economy works, She has a job where she's making things and then goes out to the market and sells them. She's gathering food for her family. She's instructing her household in the kindness and and in wisdom. And she does all of this because she cares for her family. She wants her kids to succeed. She wants her husband to succeed. She wants her family to succeed. What she does, she does for her family. Mothers are amazing and do indeed have an irreplaceable role in the home. And while so many think that power and influence comes with money or perhaps political position, William Ross Wallace has rightly written that the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. And if you understand that, you realize how true that is. Well, there's one last, one last point that I think needs to be made from this text, and that is this. What is the foundational principle, the, the, the core reason why this woman is the way she is? Look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Such focus and and drive come from a heart that has been converted and fears the Lord. This is why in verse 25, she laughs at the things to come. She has no need, need to fear the future because she knows God is in control. This is why in verse 26, when she opens her mouth, wisdom comes pouring out of her mouth. 
people who have wisdom, not intelligence, wisdom, those people know God. They have spent time in his word. They have reflected on their own heart in light of God's word. They fear the Lord. This is why in verse 20, her kindness and generosity extends out beyond just her family, but goes to the poor and those in need. This is why her life is lived in service to others. Her husband trusts her. Her children praise her. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. It's vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. While there is a a massive push to get rid of Mother's Day and have something like Carer's Day. And even if our modern Mother's Day is entirely commercialized and it keeps the card industry in business, it is right to praise mothers, particularly those who fear the Lord and who are working to serve their families well. Referendums do not change the reality of God's world. What we must pray for are changed hearts. Hearts that will see the world for what it really is. It will see the world for having been created and designed by God. And this is what we are going to celebrate here in just a minute. In the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper reminds us that He does change hearts. Because if you are a believer here, that's why you're here. Your hearts have been changed if you are a believer. And so while it is good and appropriate, appropriate for us to pray that the outcome of any vote will be one which honors God, we also pray, perhaps even with more fervency, that these chairs, we've got a lot of extra chairs now, that these chairs will be filled with individuals whom God has changed from the inside out that hearts will be changed and that the basis of our society, our, our local community, even here in Dundalk, would be one built on the fear of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is a comfort to know that you indeed are sovereign, that you are indeed in control, because often when we look out and see what is going on in the political landscape, it seems so chaotic. And yet we know there is not one thing, one law that can be passed that can actually change the reality of this world, because this is your world. You created it, you designed it, you defined it. And we understand this world insofar as we understand how you have made it. And so we pray that you would turn hearts, O Lord. We do pray that the referendum which is coming up would result in a decision that honors you. But even more than that, we pray, Lord, that you would turn the hearts of people in this society, in this country, in this town. Turn hearts, Lord. Turn hearts. Because we know that you cannot legislate a good society. 
You cannot legislate a sinful heart. That heart must be cleansed. And so we pray, Lord, cleanse the hearts of many. May families be strengthened in this church. May families be strengthened in this town. And may it be even a small bastion in this country for the glory of God living on the basis of the fear of the Lord and that that caused many others to turn as well. We do thank you for all of the women here. We thank you for the mothers. And we thank you that you made that role a very specific and important and vital role. You are a wise and amazing God, O Lord. To you be the glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in preparation now for taking the Lord's Supper, we are going to sing one more song. We're gonna sing the communion hymn, uh, also called uh, Behold the Lamb. So let's stand and sing.